Welcome to Seed Phrase, a podcast speaking with people close to art, blockchains, or both. Seed Phrase is hosted by the New Institute Hamburg and is recorded there with a live audience. I'm Simon Denny, an artist who unpacks stories about technologies, and I ask each guest to choose 12 words, their personal seed phrase, which is then minted as an NFT. For this session, I spoke with artist Alice Yuan Zhang. In our conversation, which she packed with interesting references to other artists, writers, and thinkers, in line with the practices of feminist citation, she advocates, we touched on the ecologies of tech, the possibility of bringing decolonial methodologies to the blockchain world, and why Web3 is not a clean slate, but can be seen to be ridden with the same issues like e-waste and extractivism that surface whenever you unravel the materiality of digital tools. We also spoke about D-Web versus blockchains, the origins of the term Web3 in the work of early internet thinkers like Tim Berners-Lee, and a plant's eye view of migration through her AR project, Remembering Our Roots. Delving into the politics of seeds, she complicates the premise of this podcast, sharing insight into ancestral ecology, food sovereignty, and how togetherness, both through and outside technology, can seed more expansive new cultural imaginaries. Let's get right into it. Um, so my name is Alice Yuan Zhang. I am a Chinese American media artist, educator, and generally a human being trying to figure out what's going on in the world at this moment and how best to respond. And currently my work has to do with examining this relationship we currently have between ecology and technology and how we can bridge that and specifically how we can bring technology more into ecological terms and yeah with feminist and decolonial perspectives so that we can understand better yeah where we want to go in the future and where we've been in the past <laughs> uh yeah, and understand different ways of relating to technology. What is technology? So, yeah, um, currently my work has to do with, in the past few months, actually researching and writing. You know, usually I'm doing more visual visual art and visual mediums, but currently, yeah, it's writing and, and really just interrogating what's going on with the Web3 space. What are the questions and the needs that are making us respond to the Web3 space with so much enthusiasm and from some parties' capital? And then at the same time, kind of trying to get some distance between that and maybe the, the solutions or at least the kind of directions that we actually need or that would be beneficial. So trying to bring some criticality into that. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring such a like a rich context to this conversation. As you maybe know, we've spoken about it a bit. This conversation series is in dialogue with people who are kind of like approaching Web3 uh, adjacent to art. So we talk often about art and blockchains. And being seed phrase, we also invite speakers to do a seed phrase, which we'll get to very soon, your, your seed phrase. Um, but I think what would be really interesting actually for this conversation is to start really right where you are right now and to maybe ask about your work looking into like how do you bring even decolonial methodologies to blockchain because i feel like there's not that many people doing that in the space some adjacent i mean jaya who we had on earlier she's definitely informed by decolonial and feminist thinkers like karen barad or whatever mm -hmm. um, but i think it'd be great to hear about how you're doing that in what context and like yeah some of the some of the takeaways so far <laughs> 
Oh gosh, yeah. It's uh, I've been calling my journey a sort of exorcism, and I think it's no less than that. There's so much emotional labor that I think is usually not as acknowledged when we try and do decolonial work um, or try and think, you know, outside of at least uh, the dominant Western worldviews or capitalist and imperialist tendencies. Trying to push out of that is a lot of grief and nonlinearity and looking inward. And that's, yeah, that's kind of the experience of my journey so far um, mm. with my research and my reckonings. And also, right, doing that collectively in conversation and this kind of back and forth feedback as an art practice um, is what I'm exploring. And so with blockchain, it's been taking me into this wormhole that is not just blockchain, but really in order to reckon with this, we have to reckon with the fact that we are not starting anywhere new. Like this is not a clean slate and the Web3, even just the name suggests, it is building on top of a legacy and history of digital technology, um, communications technology, uh, you know, network technology, and just also ideologies, narratives, imaginations around politics and economics. And so it's, it really, Web3, I think, has actually assigned us a lot of homework. <laughs> and yeah, I think as a media artist, I've been, you know, looking more into the very mediums that we use and, um, and have, you know, nowadays sometimes taken for granted as the quote unquote new or progressive or emergent ways to tell stories um, and to be represented and seen. And yeah, and I think I have been <laughs> trying to turn this lens reflexively onto what it is that we're using. So, you know, 3D, AR, VR, um, the aesthetics of quote unquote the metaverse mm -hmm. and what, you know, because aesthetics as we know as artists is power. And yeah, and it's a matter of, yeah, where we are putting that power toward and yeah so <laughs> all of those aspects I guess and to speak just a bit more about digital colonialism and the mining that we often you know recognize as a part of the blockchain space right now um, the dominant proof of work consensus uh, but also outside of that there's certain considerations we can keep in mind with other proof uh, mechanisms as well but speaking in particularly about yeah like my mining it's been this somewhat inconvenient somewhat maybe we should band-aid this with carbon offsets or you know maybe this will get fixed sometime in the future but right now we're experimenting because this is new um, sort of conversation and I think like if we follow the thread of mining we can get to a lot more of, yeah, what has already been happening with mm -hmm. digital technology, right? So you have, yeah, the mining of rare minerals and metals that uh, our very devices consist of. There, there are a lot of really violent dynamics in how those minerals are extracted and then you know, sent to our proximity to be bought and, and used. And uh, not to mention, yeah, the planned obsolescence around a lot of these devices. And then, 
you have, you know, the fact that a lot of it is not recycled, you know, or, or like most of our e-waste to date still. And we have to reckon with that. We have to, I mean, it is an active issue. Um, and then, you know, you have also the mining of energy and electricity, a lot of which that we were using, you know, including to toward uh, blockchain mining rigs and all this. There's um, a lot of electricity that is still coming from fossil fuels. Um, the rest of it that is coming from quote unquote renewable energy, it's hard to say as well. You know, if you're talking about like wind turbine, solar panels, et cetera, um, we're still dealing with the hardware, um, that, that first layer of where all of the copper, nickel, tungsten, et cetera, where that is coming from. Um, and then you have, right, the Web2 mining of data. So all of this extractive logic that is very much there in terms of the yeah, social media platforms and the surveillance capitalism, you know, that is really trying to, I mean, I think it's, it's one thing to point a finger at who to blame, whether it's a person or a, a corporation, which I think in our usual Western narrative, we, we like to have the hero and the villain. But in actuality, it is really the ideologies and the imaginaries that we are all embodied with that I'm concerned with. Mm. Um, and the mining of data has to do with this need and instinct to know and to know everything about you know consumer behaviors and predicting futures mm. which we can get back into with <laughs> right speculating on currency i mean it's still there um yeah and there's this question of who gets to see that and who and uh, you know everyone else that is kind of entangled in this this landscape and what is all of this data for yeah um it reminds me actually yeah. of like a of an artwork slash design work that I came across a few years ago when I was working on a project called Mine, actually, which was kind of some, somewhat to do with some of these themes, like connecting different mining metaphors um, to actually gaming and all sorts of other things as well, but um, mm -hmm. through different layers. I was inspired by this work by um, Kate Crawford and Vlad and Yola called uh, um, Anatomy of an AI System, which was a kind of a giant map of everything that made a, um, uh, an Amazon Echo work and they started from like mm. minerals at the bottom and went through all sorts of labor structures and all sorts of kind of like um, hierarchies of structures and then they also had obviously the kind of computational and, 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 and energetic layer as well and then they had this kind of yeah waste layer and the whole thing was kind of like supposed to be this giant mm. diagram of everything that is from science from the beginning of imagining science through the material layer through the social layer through the technical layer yeah. to imagine just what happens to make this one thing work and what you're talking about also like reminds me a lot of that thinking about yeah. that applying that to blockchain yeah way. it's such an unraveling and yet i think it's so necessary that we stick with it and that we um don't dismiss this as a particular pessimism either because mm. i don't feel remotely pessimistic hmm. um i mean i feel grief those are two different things yes um but you know it's i i am not yeah, I think like the, the critical voice can often be like put aside as, you know, well, what are we actually doing? Um, but that is the very question that I'm concerned with. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, 
I think it's so necessary to, and I've been personally and collectively with other folks, colleagues, um, friends, uh, people who are remotely curious about what the heck is going on with Web3, like trying to do our homework. And um, at some point it's about the technology and this infrastructure currently and blockchain and cryptocurrency, but it really, it just unravels. Yeah. Yeah, like across you know, how we have everything that we have. Yeah. Who are some of the thinkers that you look to um, doing that emotional and kind of intellectual and community labor of learning around blockchains? Like, how have you found useful signposts along the way? Because I think some people listening to this will know quite a bit about blockchain already and others will not. And I'd be interested to see who you think is helpful to get along the way some kind of notion that that gives you the information to kind of start thinking through this decolonial lens. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love acknowledging this idea of feminist citation practice, which is the fact that I all of us are constellations of what we know and we are not making this up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, yeah, we are a product of everything that we have come across. And so maybe that also leads into ancestral work as we might get into later. But yes, there are some folks that I feel really in solidarity with who have been teachers for me, you know, who are directly engaging with critical thinking around this space and research and reckoning. And I would mention definitely Xiaowei Wang has been an incredible resource. Um, They are also a media artist, technologist, and had written this book called Blockchain Chicken Farm, mm. which looks at the the promises and the realities of trying to wrestle with, you know, the supply chains of China, yeah. and in particular with food and these concerns around food safety. Um, yeah, and but trying to kind of put blockchain across that and there's surprises and nuance and a lot of amazing insights in the book you know around trust and who are we really trusting across this blockchain network and also like where is where is that actually being implemented and how and what happens when you put kind of like a Fitbit on a chicken what does that really (laughs) mean you know um to then have this chicken end up on your on a middle class's person's you know kitchen table um so Xiaowei is really an amazing thinker on this and the book is also like padded with these recipes um mm. as another way of you know accessing critical you know reflection around these topics and then another source is my Ishikawa Sutton and my um has been been really deeply in this work around decentralized web and is one of the folks who had first done, you know, the the pulling together of the D-Web principles, um, which I think folks in the Web3 space, of course, are also looking toward and referencing. And there's more history to this, of course. Um, yeah, D-Web's and, its own thing, right? Yes. It's not necessarily blockchain associated. Can, can you expand that yeah. a little bit for those who don't know the maybe the differences between D-Web and blockchain spaces and where they intersect and where they diverge, maybe? Yeah, so from my understanding, and I just also want to preface always that I'm not a subject matter expert on this, right? Me I'm a, me- yeah, no. <laughs> a media artist trying to see what's going on and asking questions and chatting with, with folks. Um, and so, yeah, decentralized web, there's been a lengthier history to this. You know, it stems 
all the way back, I would say throughout the history of the internet, um, at least, you know, various protocols, um, like even with email or, yeah, BitTorrent, Bit, BitTorrent, some folks might be familiar with earlier on. Um, and then, you know, it has really expanded to various experimentations as well as really useful, impactful cases around peer-to-peer -peer, uh, connectivity and mesh networks and um, yeah, all sorts of ways of basically thinking about not only the technical infrastructure of connecting in a decentralized way, um, you know, and collectively sharing a sense of agency or responsibility around a network, um, but also increasingly so. I think DWEP folks are thinking about, you know, the cultural implications, the political implications. Um, what does it mean to decentralize power? Mm -hmm. That's something that Mai also talks about a lot. And um, there's a fun fact um, that I learned from them, which is that Web3 initially was also used as, you know, a term by Tim Berners-Lee uh, for the semantic web. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, there's more to unpack there too. And then, you know, and it's kind of interesting how it now is, um, yeah, referred toward this whole cultural imaginary around Web3. Um, so basically Web3, you know, it, it seems like it's stemmed out of, in particular, blockchain um, technology and uh, and more specifically cryptocurrency, that layer from the beginning of Bitcoin and so on. Yeah, and if you even look at like the the first instance of the interface of like Bitcoin, it looks very lo-fi and mm -hmm. very, yeah, like it, like it has a more like peer-to-peer, -peer, maybe even minimal computing aesthetic to it. Yeah. If folks are gonna go and like sleuth back on, you know, internet archives or, or something like that. And it's kind of interesting how, yeah, we look at the aesthetic and the design of Web3 decentralized applications and DAOs, um, nowadays there's so much, you know, what we would call immersive aesthetic to it. Yeah, for sure. Very, very interesting. I mean, maybe this is a nice way to transition from what you're focusing on right now and the thinkers you're thinking through around these areas into, yeah, the kind of titular kind of thing that's bringing this um, conversation together, which is the seed phrase that I've asked you to produce, um, <laughs> which is also now a little NFT. But I was really tickled by your response to my request for 12 words because it's a little more adventurous maybe or poetic than some of the other responses we've had so far. And maybe you could say something about seed phrase as an idea for you because I think you also maybe have some resonance with that as a, I mean, a technical name for a process in blockchain, but it's also many, many other things that I think resonates with some of your themes. And then maybe we can go through those words and unpack some things. Want to do the words first, yeah, and then I'll cover it. Yeah, for sure. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. So, um, would you like to read your words, or would you like me to read your words uh, uh, as as you wish? I have I have a prompt if you if you want to read them. Um, I'll read them. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Simon had provided two columns, each with two slots for word. Um, so that comes out to be a dozen total, and. Yeah, so it goes remember responsibility of reaping what you have not sown. 
and the last word own is separated out. Yeah, that's so great. Um, so maybe I'm just going to like unpack some responses to each of those moments, and then maybe you can yeah. you can riff on those. So you know, if we start with re and member that kind of become remember when you say them together, is that something about memory and membership for you? And does that relate to the ways you look into these things? Yeah, so remember is actually the the deconstruction of that word in that I'm actually referring to a quote from Achille Membe, who is a Cameroonian theorist. Mm-hmm. Um, He's quite visible in Germany, actually. In the, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but his work is really influential and I find it really powerful. And so uh, I'll just read this quote from him. How should we remember our planet? That is put back together as different parts, reassemble it and reconstitute it as an integrated system in which humans and non-humans, physical, chemical, biological components, oceans, atmosphere and land surface are all interlinked in a grand gesture of mutuality. And... Yeah, I guess that is the core invitation and the core work that I am personally also trying to do is to re-relate. And yeah, so member also in terms of (laughs) there's a sort of delineation there, right? We talk about a community member. We talk about a member of a social club. There's a sort of like enclosure or wall or at least membrane around that. Mm. And I think it's interesting to to imagine what remembering means as in who have we forgotten as a member of our kin and who is in our scope of concern or at least of um, interdependence, um, of relationality that, you know, we are impacted directly or indirectly at somewhere down the line, right? Like if we think about water and all of the memory that it holds, like everything that, you know, we, we ingest and that comes out of us and that flows out. Like when, when actually fluids are flowing out of our body, where does it go? And what are we discharging? Like, what are the, um, you know, the chemicals, the ideologies, the, you know, the waste, quote unquote, like, what does that actually mean? What are we actually, you know, connected with and everything that we do? And yeah, so I mean, I think there's, there's a lot more there. I think I'm also learning a lot from, yeah, feminist uh, thinkers and artists and, and uh, also from my own family and also from just trying to live out the experience of a being. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, as you're an artist and, a, you know, your artwork frame is part of thinking through this or that's how I see it. Yeah. Maybe it's worth touching on a project that relates to remembering as well, which I know you did called <laughs> uh, Remembering Our Roots, which was augmented reality piece, um, but also like a community activation. Do you want to relate that to memory a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for queuing that up. Um, remembering Our Roots is a way that I was trying to get deeper and more tangible with ancestral work in relation to ecology. Um, And there's this question, leading question of like, what can our plants and our, uh, our food and everything that makes up our bodies 
uh, in a given day. Um, if we trace that back through, you know, generations and various places that we've been, um, what can all of that tell us about where we are now and what our responsibilities are? Um, yeah, so Remembering Our Roots is an augmented reality project that I had done last year. Um, it's when, it, it, the process of that is I, you know, had some some conversations and was trying to capture some oral histories with my mom, my aunt, and, you know, thinking about this, this background I have of being a first-generation immigrant and, um, but actually not, the first generation to migrate because my grandparents had also migrated regionally in Northern China because of the cultural revolution at the time. And mm. so it was in a way tracing back through that story, um, which I had grown up hearing, you know, from a human centric perspective. Yeah. And then with this question of like, what about the plants? Like what do people eat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and at first, I think my relatives were a little bit taken aback, but actually we got into it and they became like really excited talking about, you know, some of the plants that they really had to make kinship with and like really know um, tangibly in order to survive. Mm -hmm. um, so it was taking in some of those stories and understanding a little bit about what resilience feels like and what is this idea of like maybe a plant ancestor, you know, if we were to broaden that ancestral work. And and how did that translate into um, like a, a, a VR moment or rather an, a, an AR moment? Yeah. Rather. Um, and I, this reminds me of something else I've heard you talk about where you kind of use um, things that are blingy uh, to bring attention <laughs> to things that are maybe not so blingy. So yeah. I don't know if that connects exactly. to this project. Exactly. Yeah, AR has this shiny effect, um, <laughs> you know, where because of the way that our attention is pointed right now and... Um, with new media and with screens and their their glaringness that is asking for attention, literally. Um, you know, I, I also that's partly why I became interested in 3D and AR. And so I had created, but also I think the medium itself is quite interesting in that it, it brings you into this very visceral, um, like tangible interactive sense of, of a place. And so um, this AR piece is a bit of a portal, I would call it, and a portal into time into, um, you know, it, it's, it's anchored with three plants and has my mom and my voice in it. Um, yeah, and then with the you know the the plants that as you get closer to them it triggers their movement and they're growing and there's all of like it really kind of tries to ground you in the sense of um of that memory i actually took that piece and as an invitation into a community space um, where i am in in los angeles and yeah, invited folks to come and I printed worksheets um, asking folks what their plant ancestors might be. I um, also in that process challenged myself to grow some of the plants that I felt related to. And um, I have friends, you know, in LA who are really growing their own food and I'm living somewhere there that um, you know, we have veggies just in rows in the backyard, which is really amazing and such a privilege and has been quite a community project in and of itself. And, but, you know, it was 
like the first time that I was really seeing like a Chinese eggplant or um, like red beans sprouting in front of my eyes. And so I was bringing some of those those uh, seedlings um, <laughs> to the community activation um, space that I was holding and feeling like I was playing host a bit and really just bringing this inquiry of like, hey, I'm I'm curious and I'm trying to do this work and it feels like a bit of thawing out and a bit of trying to articulate this in my own voice. And what about you? Like, what mm. about, you know, your histories and can we hold this nuance and complexity together? And can I trust you with some seedlings to take home in exchange for your stories? Wow. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it sounds so powerful to be a part of that, which is actually kind of, interestingly dovetailing with responsibility, <laughs> like the kind of next line of, uh, of yeah. your seed phrase, um, because that is kind of, yeah, in my mind, like responding to various situations and also situated levels of ability and response and responsibility, right? I guess that's kind of, is that kind of teasing out that for you as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Responsibility, I would say I also did borrow and I, I'm sure a lot of folks are also already hearing it ring through. It's uh, Donna Haraway's responsibility, this kind of pull apart. And of course, Donna Haraway also talks about staying with the trouble. Um, and I think, yeah, the turning that toward Web3 and blockchain, it's been really interesting and also kind of galvanizing and a, a point of grounding to say, this is tricky this is shifty, there's so much going on here. And yet we need to, you know, now more than ever, like get under the abstraction layer that technology has built and actively designs onto us, right? The sedation, um, the sea of noise that we're scrolling through every day. And, um, you know, including Web3 spaces, Twitter, <laughs> Discord, as we, as we know, and kind of get into different ways of understanding, well, time, relationality, um, you know, levels of, yeah, responsibility. Um, because I think the, the more that we dig and unravel, I think the more that we can actually um, rekindle our own sense of whether and how we can respond at all. Mm -hmm. And then that again brings me to like what it really means to do community work mm. um, or to be, you know, upholding an art practice that I want to feel is as honest and as in line with my gut microbiome as possible. And um, to do that, I need to be in conversation with folks um, in situated contexts, such as with remembering our roots, um, you know, and, and having these real conversations. And I think like the work of community is actually long-term accountability and, and really like, you know, having shared mutual context and stake with each other. Um, and those relationships actually get you into a natural loop of responsibility and also there's collective power right not everyone has to be running their own servers but collectively we can imagine having a mesh network go across our city that mm. we can make decisions on together right because also if the trash piles up outside and if the parts are here and there like we like we have a shared context and we have shared concerns that are binding us together and we're like in that entanglement we can work so i think yeah for me it's also been you know really reckoning with like i think not necessarily a bird's eye view of everything and also this instinct of trying to make the next new 
technology work for the globe over. Um, and not even a sort of like, uh, you know, how do we find our people online? But like, who are you really going to stay with, stay yeah. in solidarity with? And when you're in crisis, as it happens to all of us, who are you going to call? And how are you going to get to them in, with that message of calling, right? What internet infrastructures are we relying on, et cetera? Like, it's that in decades and like across generations, like, can we think at that scale? Amazing. I mean, I also think maybe it's interesting then to talk about, I mean, a number of your projects um, I know have come in and out of particular contexts, right? Like particular community contexts, particular formations. I'm thinking about places like Naval in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and um, and some other places, maybe, maybe where you are right now also in Berlin, um, if you want to speak to those. Like, I wonder if, if fleshing out those contexts where you can do these experiments, where you find community that um, kind of sees some of these possibilities alongside you would also be interesting to weave into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. so Naval has a special place in my heart. Um, they're the folks that I had first started off with in exploring the media arts at all. I was very curious about 3D and um, I wanted to learn alongside folks and uh, Naval has had uh, seasons now of a program called Assemblies, mm. um, which was started off by my good friend Amanda Vincelli, um, who's now doing amazing work in solidarity economies um, over in Montreal. But uh, the Assemblies program is very open in that it invites folks around the area who are curious about Naval and know about the space to come in and bring any idea or inquiry. It's very inquiry-led in that way as well that I think I've picked up in my practice from there. But you, you know, you're you're curious about something, you want folks to experiment with you or to get into a learning group with you and um, and everyone pitches it. So there's like a pitch night and mm. then um, yeah, the, the folks who show up will vote and um, you know they'll vote based on whether they want to participate or not. And then it kind of shakes out to be a few groups each season. And so the one that I had proposed was actually called Digital Materialities. I barely knew what that meant um, when I first uh, brought it to the table, but luckily there was a dozen, you know, peers uh, who also wanted to get into this learning and exploring with me. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, I think, like the power of also, you know, grassroots institutions and these spaces kind of opening up their doors um, into whatever shows up in this this way of participation um, that I really have a lot of respect and, and love for. Um, so, yeah. And then from there, you know, we were <laughs> learning about what it means to use new media and trying to stay critical with each other and ask hard questions in this vulnerable but safe space because we're like, yeah, we're all trying to figure it out together. Um, and then from there, I think I've also, well, made friends. And there's, uh, for example, my collaborator um, now for two years, Sarah Suarez, and I had um, hosted the same assembly uh, season. Um, she had a, a session on collective dreaming. Um, and that was really fascinating as well. But we then banded together. And that was actually at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, in April of 2020, we co-founded Virtual Care Lab, and that has kind of 
taken some of the uh, ethics of um, Naval's, you know, community practices and in- integrated that into the virtual care lab practice, which is basically a sort of invitation and the leanest possible space um, for, you know, coming to to try and find remote togetherness with each other through a pandemic and try to explore creatively, but also hold space at the same time and, and, and with solidarity. And actually that's been a really interesting thing because, you know, people had come not necessarily with technical expertise, right. but they were coming in, you know, as sound artists or movement artists who just wanted to explore how to be together through the internet. So I think, and also outside of the internet and thinking about mail and thinking about embodiment. Um, Can you, you know. describe one of your favorite instances of the use <laughs> of, the, of the virtual care lab kind of framework? Wow, there's so many moments. Yeah. I. Yeah, I would say maybe Synchronize is one um, one thing that was hosted in this space by Stephanie Whitelaw. Um, and Synchronize, she asked us in our different locales to like basically start off on Zoom, get outside, um, move around our respective neighborhoods. And with a... a pilgrimage idea um, in mind. So kind of really feeling out this, what this journey means to kind of go out there and and just have like a particular prompt with that. And she actually also recorded like um, a voice guide Hmm. that we all took in our ears um, to, to go outside. And then we all had basically the same, the same, um, you know, like facilitation, but our different environments. And then we would come back and make a memory map together um, of what happened with our eyes closed on Zoom. (laughs) And then we would, yeah, talk about it. And it was always a lot of story sharing and more things than we expected had happened. And there's like so many really interesting emergent, yeah, surprises and, and moments of vulnerability across Virtual Care Lab these past two years. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that sort of, I don't know, to ping pong back into the um, the seed phrase of, of reaping um, that, you know, that rhymes to me with the kind of like idea of relationships between different entities, human, non-human, and, and what gets to benefit mm. from which relationship and that you're describing a kind of relationship of, uh, I guess, care across distance or something like that. But um, yeah. I guess there's kind of other, other ways that they could um, move into the, the notion of, of reaping something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... One thing that we always have reckoned with at Virtual Care Lab is a like anywhere go anything goes sort of um, band of creative cultural workers is this idea of economy and mm. of value. It keeps coming back, and I think because we know that this is a space we're holding for ourselves, it's not an institution. Um, it's kind of a meeting place somehow. Uh, you know, like no password, but sort of like a secret. Uh, what do we call it? Like um, room of requirement. You know, you you show up, and then you have inquiries or or things that you want to explore, and then you kind of see what echoes back. Um, so that's been our ecosystem, and then it's kind of funny to you know, bring that context into trying to understand what's going on with value and economics in the Web3 and blockchain space. Um, Because, yeah, this is like very real context, right, where we're all cultural workers who are 
every day, like especially through the pandemic, talking a lot about, you know, the lack of state support, um, mm. especially in the U.S. context for um, cultural workers and our well-being and, um, you know, talking a lot about mutual aid and how, you know, a lot of folks were um, involved with underground organizing, with neighborhood organizing and how that's been going and the ups and flows of, of um yeah, the the work and the the attention and care that it takes to try and uphold these infrastructures ourselves. Um, but yeah, part of it was like, you know, as, at least at Virtual Care Lab, you you kind of show up and it's we're practicing reciprocity and just our presence with each other and and holding space for each other. And so it kind of complicates by nature all of these ideas of like transaction and of you know what do you get paid to like how how do you show up and is a breath like valued somehow like can like how do we even do economics for something like this at all um but you know and we we have like lab hour every sunday where it's you know we have an hour and it's been a ritual for now like a hundred and something weeks um of just showing up and whoever can show up will will come um and yeah, we've used that space. It's like a non-agenda um, check-in community ideation space. We've used that space for a lot of different things, including um, talking about these topics around money and collective support and what that means. Oh, that's so, so interesting. I also, <laughs> yeah. like, that reminds me and resonates with uh, like a project, a blockchain project that kind of came out of, um, of Berlin called Circles, which is a, an attempt to maybe migrate some of quantifying this type of thing like onto uh, a blockchain system and i think it's even Mm -hmm. a deflationary uh currency is that right recently shifted that yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i don't know i know you know a little bit about this but i'm just interested because you know you're talking about a a particular type of economy of care and and i know that this does intersect somehow with some attempts so Mm -hmm. i don't know if you could say a few things of what you know about that project would that make any sense yeah sure yeah 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 so um my friend Julio um, is uh, working very much on the ground in the local community um, that surrounds the Circles project of you know folks like shop owners, um, business owners, but also yeah people who are curious about solidarity economics and local currency are kind of they've flocked a bit to this Circles idea. Um, so I know some things about I've gone to their like market assembly for example um which is this routine like kind of community market that happens where uh local folks who will take circles um which is a UBI uh project that is also implementing blockchain technology um and it and so people will, um, you know, show up to this market and they'll vend and kind of buy and sell from each other and have conversations about local currency. And I think what is really, what does make me really interested in a project like this is the, you know, like with the market assembly, like seeing how people were really turning their gears around, like how any of this works at all, how money as it is right now works, like how we are, what we're dependent on and across the supply chain, right? Like business owners trying to do the logic of like, okay, how do I make my business work with circles? Mm. Like as in, you know, if we were to use circles, um, like, how do I get my produce um, relatively manageably enough to, you know, the the people who will buy this produce? And 
um, or, you know, like someone who might want to do screen prints is like, how, like, can I pay in circles then for the t-shirts that I need in order to Surprise. screen print so that I can sell it for circles. Right. So then it just keeps going. Like, so I think there's totally an unraveling process in here too, where that's what happens with community organizing and like situated context is people, you know, are in in the same space of trying to question this together with the the power too of um, imagining something else because it literally, you know, if you're there together, you're trying to imagine for your own sake, right? right? Um, and for your own livelihoods. So yeah, so that's, that's one project in Berlin that I've been um, curious about and it's been really interesting to witness the, what, feels like it's quite different than a lot of other other blockchain projects and also just to mention i think circles is like um off a side shoot of the the main net so it's not on it's not like actively um oh, using no. the the consensus consensus mechanism yeah no that's so interesting because it's the idea of a universal basic income some kind of credits that you get every week or tokens mm -hmm, you get right. every week or something that then they disappear right is that right at some point you can't accumulate in the same way yeah. that you can with normal currency is that is that yeah i think it's called demurrage yeah right so they're recently just that's actually the market assembly i had attended uh, like a week or two ago um in which they were communicating this um you know i was like watching julio and caroline um someone else on the team like write this on a whiteboard oh, wow. um and you know uh, with a few bunches of people trying to figure this out together and like answering community questions but yeah i think they are pivoting right now from like uh thinking about this inflation model or like kind of giving people more and more circles and what happens kind of from that to uh, the other model where you're kind of you're actually taking it it decomposes a little bit yeah. like the money over time in order to um ensure uh that people there's i think they called it like a hot potato effect so <laughs> in order to ensure that people are using it and flowing it around and that it is a, a timely resource um and that you know to discourage hoarding over time um, and then inequities that build up as people are joining the system earlier versus later. Right. It's, uh, I think they're now experimenting with that. Yeah, so interesting when these things go into these concrete projects. So, mm. so thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Maybe also like back to, back to your C phrase, like what you have not, I think is a really interesting couple of things um, that sort of, you know, circles around like the materiality of self or community or or who's speaking to whom but also like who gets to own things and and who's outside of ownership so i, I wonder if you could tease up some of those ideas uh, maybe in relationship to some yeah projects as well if it comes to mind <laughs> what you have not is such an in-between of the the thing that i think what you have not own as well not sown maybe we can yeah. take that whole phrase if you want yeah yeah well i think it's interesting what you're parsing with the, like, yeah, like, what, well, okay, so what you, what as in materiality and, yeah, what are we actually talking about and what is the objective? And then you, <laughs> just like a note there is, I, I think with my art practice and generally with, like, yeah, like, community organizing and solidarity economy and all of this it's so necessary to again like be really situated with who we're talking to mm. so i think there's a provocation here of like um 
yeah, are you the you that I'm speaking to? And what is your responsibility? And how will you take this question into your own context? Um, and then have not, yeah, the haves and have nots and the inequities to date, um, but also in the context of the larger phrase, what you have not sown. Um, that's where maybe I can get into the seed phrase thing a bit. Yeah, please. So a seed, <laughs> I was reflecting on that because obviously I'm thinking in ecological terms a lot and in context of technology, you know, I've been recently learning uh, actually with the Trust Collective um, in Berlin. I've been learning how to knit. They have a Monday night knitting circle and I am really smitten with those folks. And so for the first time I was holding like the yarn in my hand uh, trying to make these loops and someone was graciously teaching me how to do that and then it really dawned on me that it really felt like code i mm. mean i there's this reference has been made so many times of course and we can go back to the jacquard loom and all of the history of feminist <laughs> technology um that gets sideswept a lot of the times but it's really so necessary to remember um but yeah like knitting the way that you kind of you have a particular uh for a loop basically like a um you know a recipe or a score or a spell even you could say that you're you're following um and then that gets exponentially um you know it, it expanded into this whole thing that you can now wear you can it will warm you it will you know like give you the best like hug in the winter, you know, with this, the, the sweater, or the, the, the thing that you make. Um, and I think there's something so powerful about that because if we also consider that little bit of code, um, you know, of process or score that, that you've kind of figured out to then um, multiply from there, that is in a way a seed. So also with quote unquote hard code, um, you know, versus the soft code, whatever that means, we can think about all of technology in this way. And I think there's a lot of responsibility to what you do so. Mm. So it's, you know, and also considering like GMO seeds, for example, mm. and all of the seeds that have been monopolized by Monsanto. And then you have this whole like Arctic seed vault, right? That's happening right now where, or I don't know when it started, but yeah, with the melt, with the, like um, melting of the. Oh no, wait. No, there's the seed vault that um, that is keeping. Um, it's like in this almost like military complex, a very protective complex of like as many seas as they could get that is from all different huh. environments in the world. Like and a, sorry for the biblical references, but like a Noah's Ark. Of yes, seas. precisely. Yeah. <laughs> precisely, and so it's like what's happening with that that understanding of mm. the apocalypse and who is that for? <laughs> right. It reminds um, me also of your Requiem for Lost Plants kind of like project as well. Like this idea of like, yeah, I don't know if that vibes with you at all, but it's kind of like has a, I don't know, there's a connection to, to loss and, and there's also planning for future oof. loss or something like that. I don't know if that's a, that's a connection worth unpacking, but. I'm, uh, okay, that's like a big roundabout actually. <laughs> let me, let me see. Yeah. Let me backtrack. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have to take that leave. <laughs> uh, there was something else with the seed phrase oh, yeah. that I wanted to say. Yeah. And then maybe we can go there. Yeah. Um, the code is seed. 
that, uh, idea and, and yes. rather than code as law. <laughs> right. And just to bring it back, it's like, yeah, um, it's also the, you know, colonialist legacies to date that we have to mind in terms of, yeah, all of like, I think it's interesting this parallel that I continue to go back to with um, technological sovereignty and, and food sovereignty. Mm. Um, yeah, and actually, like on the food side, I feel like there's a lot more stories and, and frameworks that we may be more familiar with um, because this work is, in a way, there's been more of it, mm -hmm. you know, in untangling like where our food has been coming from and how it's been produced and the, the supply chains and, um, you know, organic and what that really means. And then to, yeah, urban farms and folks trying to grow their own food um, and thinking about last mile access, right? Who gets to access healthy food? Who doesn't? All of these questions really yeah. apply to our technology. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting as well in the seed context, like it, it's not that all seeds are, you know, like potential for something new and new is inherently good. Like right. you have GMO seeds and you have other seeds that hold all of the, the legacy and the memory of, you know, where we've been and the, the ideologies and the world building or geoengineering um, fantasies that we have. And yeah, and then on the other hand, you have right like seas coming out of um prison struggles um or yeah indigenous seas um heirloom seas that that folks are trying to hold on to with their alongside their culture that also hold so much um context and so much story and and in my case with remembering our roots it was also learning about you know plant ancestors and thinking about like yeah what do those hold like the stories of real resilience and and community and yeah so i mean i think I think it really is so necessary to think about seed phrase and mm. this idea of seed as you know something active that we we are potentially that we have agency around right like um the the cultural imaginaries that we seed with our code the um the the agreements, the collective agreements that we may be in the process of building as we, you know, organize with each other um, into new groups and collectives, like all of that. What are we carrying already? Already, where does it come from? And what are we sowing um, that'll grow into that that sweater that you might want <laughs> when it gets cold? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. If, if you would go in, like, also yeah. from there into the Requiem for Lost Ponds, yeah. I think it's a really interesting project and, and, and connects to your ancestral thinking that you mentioned before with remembering our roots. I think there's a, I don't know, there's a, there's a vibe there. Yeah, okay, we can get into it now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Requiem for Lost Plants is a um, browser-based and AR project that is very much situated um, in Los Angeles and which is, you know, Tongva and Chumash land, ind indigenous land. And I think when I first moved back there, you know, when, well, when we emigrated um, from China, that's where we landed, mm. but, you know, near the suburbs. And, uh, and then when I moved back years later, I was very curious about all of the you know I was carrying these questions of ecology and and place and especially through the pandemic um, I think questions about land relations really seeped in for me and yeah and I was questioning like 
like, what am I not seeing here across this landscape? There's so much industrial, um, yeah, ruins and the, the concrete development and the the 51 mile river that has been the where there's a concrete dam that's been put in all across and where like I think 99% of the riparian habitat has been completely like lost um so I started doing research around the ecosystems there and I felt a lot of grief for um what I was learning was being lost um, or has been lost or, you know, a lot of uh, ecological communities have been struggling um, actively, but also grief and like not knowing. And so, yeah, the Requiem Project is a juxtaposition of various plants that actually is it's a little bit of a misnomer because it was so hard to find like really stories and not just biological characteristics of mm. some of the you know really like plants that have been lost that we were kind of gleaming from plants that were struggling or that were there and had rich stories that we could tell i mean yeah granted there's like so much more that there's there's so much more flourishing that they could all be doing um you know uh, if there wasn't as much disturbance on on the land, but yeah, that was those were some of those stories that we were we were telling around five plants, and so we juxtaposed them across like the the urban landscape of Los Angeles, where you have, you know, um, like the first highway that's ever been built on the west side um, of the United States. You have, um, you know, like the sand dunes that are eroding and um, and an airport uh, runway that was bought um, and enclosed. That was like the only place where there's some of, uh, you know, the 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 plants the beach laya that were still able to be there because actually the development somehow didn't happen or oh, wow. so it's like some yeah really interesting stories we got into around like what happens with enclosure and land rights and all this um but yeah so it was augmented reality and browser based of a sort of like um i don't know if it's remembrance or just honor i guess honoring um that they exist and they have all of these stories and the stories are not just like, you know, look up how tall this plant is and, and how to grow it in a lab. <laughs> yeah. And I think that still rings true as a, it's something that now that I look back on, I haven't thought about that project for a second. And I'm, now I'm still like doing grief, you know, grief work and thinking about this lens of decay and decomposition, but it's, shifted a bit because I think at the time I was feeling really like frustrated and it I mean it's also you know like that first second year of the pandemic it everything smelled like death and it still does but I think I'm picking up something else now that also in my own personal life I'm learning more deeply about grief practice um grieving my dad who passed away a few years ago and I think there's some growth here for me in terms of like yeah grief can be joyous and can be so much um and can be collective work and actually the beginnings of things mm. um yeah wow uh <laughs> so many things i feel like we've covered a lot and i feel like um as i say the lens through which you bring your i guess artistic methodology and artistic practice to ways of understanding, learning, and listening, and reflecting on technologies is very 
yeah, special. Uh, would you like to say anything else about like what you're doing and what you're up to before we kind of close the conversation? Um, yeah, as I say, we've touched on such a lot in such a <laughs> short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. And I guess I'll just mention that I just I the more I do this inquiry and you know I'm quite medium agnostic and how I work as you can see there's like yeah. there's various projects that I'm like okay if this is going to get some you know collective attention to then come together and reflect critically on something then so be it and then there's now it's more writing right I put out recently after these months of research I put out this piece um called the myth of Web3, decentralization of what, in which I try and um, detangle this a bit. And there's also, I put together a network doula library um, as part of that, just to recognize that this is, you know, just an inquiry that is continuously open and I'm continuing to learn and, um, and, and trying to invite other folks to also step into a sense of agency and that, you know, we don't have to be experts. Um, we don't have to start from like an accredited place. Like we, if we're using digital technology, um, we should know what's going on. If we are, you know, eating food from a grocery store, we should have a sense of, you know, what we're, who we're depending on, whose labor that is that is coming from and why it, everything is structured in that way um you know if we are trying to come together to you know to be in solidarity then we have to be also doing the grief work and holding space in different ways and thinking ancestrally i mean i think all of this i'm just trying to put out into the world with an active art practice that i'm starting from somewhere and um, and that it's a continuous, you know, remembering and responding <laughs> process. Yeah. And I would like some company in doing that. So that's why, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a participatory aspect that I uh, approach that I usually take in my work. Amazing. Where can we find that text if we're interested and, and the and the offshoots you mentioned as well? Where can yeah, we see that online? Yeah, if you go to my website, it's alisyuanjiang.com and then you put a slash in and then decentralization, you'll find it. Cool. We'll yeah, also and, maybe link it as well. Yeah, and then feel free to also reach out. Um, I'm I love, as you can see, like I love having conversations as part of my process, and I'm very open to to exploring and learning about new new ways to new frameworks, new ideas, new ways to think about this. So wonderful! Thank you so much, Alice. Thank you. <laughs> that was Seed Phrase. Thanks so much to Alice. Her work bringing together conversations which are usually siloed into such separate areas, spending creative time learning crypto's context and rituals but also comparing those cultural artifacts to other rich contexts and histories is very inspiring. Of course, also a very special thanks to our host yet again, the New Institute, who have once more arranged the space and support for this conversation. The music for this podcast is from Scanner by Amnesia Scanner. See you next time.